So are there scientific ways to keep someone essentially immortal? Do bacteria play a role with this seeming immortality at all? All this and so much more on today's episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. Well, my goodness, everybody, doesn't it sound so, so very wonderful to hear that beautiful intro music starting again? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode, indeed, an entirely new season of this incredible podcast that is sweeping the nation, and that would be, of course, Short Stories of Bacteria. In this podcast, we will be exploring the lives of the tiny and infamous, the incredible bacteria, as well as learn a bunch of other really, really cool science along the way. I... I'm Dr. K, and I will be your host on this incredible journey, and I'm super, super excited to have you guys along for the ride. So excited for the new season, so excited for the new year. Um, It is a new year, you guys. Um, If this is your first time with us, welcome aboard. Whilst you are here, didn't forget to follow the podcast wherever you are listening to the podcasts, Um, and be sure to give us a five-star review. It really does help us with sharing the podcast and getting more bacteria and other scientific news out to the world. Also, if you enjoy what you're listening to, it would be super, super cool if you could share this podcast as well. As it turns out, that is also a good way to spread the word on the podcast and to spread the word on all the really, really cool science that we cover here at Short Stories of Bacteria. But enough of this nonsense. It is a brand new year with tons of brand new stories. So let us jump into the content for today, which promises to be very, very cool. Um, Now, as it turns out, for those of you guys who do not know, this is a brand new year. And that means that the Earth has done a full rotation around the sun. Now, this is a very, very super exciting thing. Uh, We have not been obliterated by an asteroid yet. We have not obliterated our own planet yet. Um, We have not caused any kinds of apocalypse just yet, and we haven't had any other types of apocalypse caused upon us yet. There's a lot to look forward to in this new year. It's a really, really cool time. But it's about this time that people start to get a little leery about the fact that they are getting older right? Another year has passed. We're another year older. And sometimes that can freak people out. They're afraid of losing their health. They're afraid of um, of the clock running out, right? And in fact, that could be one reason why so many people jump into New Year's resolutions as a way of um, increasing their longevity, as a way of getting better health. Actually, a recent Forbes study um, found that about 50% of people who are doing New Year's resolutions are doing so solely to improve physical health. It also could be mentioned here that about 40% of people who are doing New Year's resolutions are doing so to improve mental health, right? So everyone wants to get healthy this year, whether it be physically, mentally, spiritually, any any of the ways, everyone wants to get healthy this year. And that's really, really cool. Um, and a little bit of that could be due to the realization that your your doom is impending, right? Now, it's about this point in the podcast that you burst onto the scene bleary-eyed from your New Year's Eve debauchery and ready for another podcast episode. Now, wait a minute, Dr. K. You say, all hot and be bothered. Did you really just back bring me back here to tell me that I'm getting old? Well, first of all, how rude. And second of all, what on earth does this have to do with bacteria? Well, that, uh, well, we're going to have to unpack that uh, just a little bit because actually... Um, The way that we're going to relate all these different things together um, is through this concept of biological immortality. What is biological immortality? Isn't that just something that appears in science fiction or, or in ancient fantasy tales, right? That doesn't really happen, right? 
So biological immortality, actually, it isn't a really well isn't a really well pinned down definition, probably because we don't understand quite what the concept looks like. Not not particularly well at this point. Um, the best definition that I could extract would be something along the lines of this. So biological immortality, it's a biological state where there either is a no cellular degradation. So that would be the organism or the cell itself isn't breaking down. Or B, there's no limit to the amount of times that cells can divide and replenish themselves. We're going to focus on the first um, definition right here. So no cellular degradation, the organism or the cell just isn't isn't breaking down or it's, it's not falling apart, right? Um, and it seems relatively obvious if a cell or an organism just has a really, really good way of keeping itself alive, right? It would make sense that in theory, it could just stay alive forever, um, a similar type of thing happens in the animal kingdom. In particular, one very, very interesting organism called the naked mole rat. Now, the naked mole rat, if you look it up, it's a terrifying looking little guy, um, but it's actually really, really cool. It has a number of really, really neat, unique abilities. Um, one such ability that's actually really, really cool is this absurd resistance of the naked mole rat to cancer, whereas pretty much everyone else on earth gets cancer in some form or another and that's just due to genetic degradation genetic mutation all these different things the naked mole rat really doesn't have those problems right so it has a whole bunch of really neat cellular genetic mechanisms whereby for the most part the naked mole rat is resistant to a lot of different types of cellular degradation a lot of different types of genetic degradation and as a result highly resistant to cancer. In fact, scientists right now are looking to the naked mole rat as an inspiration to combat cancers in humans, which is really, really cool. So that's one aspect, I would say, to biological uh, immortality, this notion of resistance to cellular degradation or genetic degradation. Actually, it might be worth mentioning here, right, that the naked mole rat happens to live an absurdly long time, which I guess you would expect because it's so resistant to some of these um, cancerous diseases. It turns out that the average age of the naked mole rat clocks in at like 35 years. 35 years. The next, that's a really, really long time. The next eldest rodent typically survives to a mere 25 years, which is already extremely old for a rodent. For frame of reference, the average house rat survives only around four years, right? So that means that the average age of the naked mole rat is 10, almost 10 times as much as the normal average house rat. So that's absurd. Now, what's even crazier than this is the fact that the naked mole rat, even though it's really, really old, it doesn't even age like everyone else. Let me let me see if I can explain that a little bit better. So typically when, when people or when organisms or cells, right, get older, there's an increased likelihood of death. Right? There's like a hot second when you're really, really young and where you're likely to die. But once you get past that first moment, the likelihood that you're going to die stays pretty low until you start to get older. Now, this makes sense when you think about it, right? As you get older, it's more likely that you're going to die, right? Well, as it turns out, the naked mole rat takes that idea and just throws it right back in your face because the naked mole rat does not show an increased rate of mortality even as it's getting older. It dies at roughly the same rate as it did when it was this young, spry whippersnapper of a naked mole rat. It instead seems to maintain this um, uh, this youthful rigor up until the day that it dies. 
right? And because of this, coupled with the fact that they're resistant to cancer and because they live such an outrageously long time, scientists gave the naked mole rat this title of a non-aging mammal. The naked mole rat is a non-aging mammal. So that's very, 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 very cool. But you might be asking, does something similar happen with bacteria or other microorganisms? After all, this is a podcast about bacteria. Is it possible for bacteria to stay in this state where their cells aren't degrading? Kind of like the naked mole rat or something like this. Well, they most certainly can. Um, But in order to do that, bacteria have to enter into a state known as suspended animation. What is suspended animation? Suspended animation is this biological state where where the typical cell functions, right, are either dramatically slowed or entirely stopped altogether, right? Once the cellular functions are in this state, as long as they have the resources needed to survive, and that would be in the case of where you have slowed cellular functions, or as long as they have the resources to kickstart their heart, so to speak, in the case of stopped cellular functions, it's theorized that these organisms can last pretty much indefinitely, right? And and while this isn't quite the same thing as immortality, it can sometimes look pretty close in the case of some bacteria because some of these bacteria can get stupidly old. How old, you ask? Well, back in the early 20th century, there was a scientist um, who found bacteria that were locked in these coal deposits found in Wales and Pennsylvania. And how old were these bacteria? Well, these bacteria were 300 million years old. These bacteria cells were 300 hundred million years old that means that when these bacteria went went into this suspended animation right trees had just barely showed up pangaea was the main continent at that time this was 50 million years before the dinosaurs showed up it's outrageously old and this isn't the only example we found um, these these types of bacteria that have been held in suspended animation in in ice cores we found them underneath islands um, where their ages are clocking into five to ten to a hundred to three hundred million years old these are some really really old bacteria now scientists are very very intrigued with this notion of suspended animation especially as it relates to human longevity and human health we see a bunch of science fiction stories right where people are essentially held in, 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 in suspended animation until they reach another planet or until the apocalypse has happened or until the average IQ is extremely low. There's a lot of different ways to look at the potential of suspended animation as, as it relates to humanity. But it doesn't have to be immediately so dramatic and represent time skip of centuries, right? Sometimes it could be just something as simple as surviving for the next hour, Right? This is especially true for people who are having some kind of physical trauma, right? In these instances, the body needs to operate on as little energy and resources as possible if the person is going to survive. And suspended animation represents an opportunity to do that. And that actually leads to this really interesting story um, that came out in 2019 where doctors, uh, scientists at the University of Maryland School of Medicine What they're doing is they're taking patients and they're putting them in suspended animation for the first time in human history. These patients are people um, who have had some kind of dramatic form of physical trauma. So like they had a gunshot wound or they got stabbed or something like that. And these individuals have had have gone into cardiac arrest. So this is where the heart literally stops beating in situations like this. There's only a 5% chance that the patient's going to survive 
and regain consciousness. It's literally at this point, it's a moment of life or death. Now, oftentimes in these situations, doctors have to immediately do surgery to fix whatever issue is going on, but they're very, very much on the clock. Remember, if the heart stops beating, you're losing oxygen. If you're losing oxygen, primarily you're losing oxygen to the brain. And when you lose oxygen to the brain, you're going to get immediate and long-term consequences, right? So they have to be able to make this fix really rapidly. Now, to suspend the patients and in doing so extend the time that the doctors have to work with, the patients who have, again, who have undergone this, this trauma and are in cardiac arrest, the patients are immediately cooled from their normal 98.6 Fahrenheit temperature to about 10 to 15 degrees Celsius, which is about 50 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit. That's an astonishingly, astonishingly excuse me, 40 to 50 degrees south of normal. Right? The way this is done is by rapidly exchanging all of their blood, all of it, with freezing cold salt solution. Right? They take the blood, exchange it with this really, really cold salt solution. And what that does is that rapidly chills the body, and it essentially stops all brain function. Right? So it puts the person in a state where they don't, they just don't, their, their body just isn't doing anything. Right? They just kind of sit there. And as they're sitting there, the doctors get in there, and then they can try and fix the situation. Now, um, we should be clear here, however, that this is not an unlimited time thing, right? They can't just stay on ice, so to speak, forever. The doctors only have a couple of hours to find and fix the issue. And after they do fix the issue, they still have to be able to put blood back into the person and gradually bring them back to life, essentially. It's definitely not an exactly perfectly understood science, but it's a really interesting thought, the idea of stopping the clock on the body as a way of saving lives, as a way of giving doctors the opportunity to fix issues with wounded individuals. Now, while the project, to my knowledge, is still ongoing, the data is still emerging, the doctors have had success with other animals like pigs where they have been cooled, they've been operated on, they've been warmed, and then totally resuscitated. So that's a very interesting story. We may keep you guys up to date on that. Um, now, a similar but much less dramatic way of this is just pure hibernation, right? So hibernation, which many folks will just see as take just taking a big old nap, um, it's very similar to suspended animation in that the temperature drops, the metabolic requirements of the organism drop, and the overall the amount required to stay alive is much, much lower. And this is why it's so useful for organisms in areas where there aren't a, there's not really a lot of food during winter months. Um, otherwise, they would just the animals would just die, right? It's used by just as it's used by it's used by bears, it's used by squirrels, um, and just as it's being used by all these organisms and rodents and whatnot, right, and even actually some other primates, there are also scientists who are thinking, oh my gosh, it would be really, really cool if we could find a way to induce hibernation in humans, both for that trauma therapy that I just described, or, again, for something super dramatic like sending folks to the moon or sending folks to, you know, Mars and things like this. Now, it may have occurred to you at this point now, this is all very well and good for the hibernating creature, right? But what about the bacteria, right? It's already been made very clear, like we mentioned earlier, that bacteria can go into suspended animation, but and one could assume, right, they, they could hibernate, right? But what happens to the bacteria that live inside a hibernating creature, right? And it's right about here that bacteria start to make their own appearance again, again, making an astonishing contribution to the survival 
of a hibernating organism. Let's take the example um, of the common ground squirrel. Um, the ground squirrel spends a whole winter in hibernation, right? So a whole lot of time, but it can run into this really, really tough problem. And that is this problem of muscle atrophy, right? So the ground squirrel is really used to running around, jumping on things, climbing things, digging into things, etc., And it needs functional, strong muscles in order to do this. But if the muscles aren't used, and again, not used for months on end, the muscles themselves will start to break down and get weak. It goes for their paw muscles, it goes for their leg muscles, even their stomach can start breaking down unless it's held together, right? Now, the way to hold it together, the way to keep it from this degradation from happening is the cells need to have a source of nitrogen as a way of building up protein. Now, you may well know that protein is used to build muscles, right? And a key component of protein is nitrogen. So if you have nitrogen in a form where it can be converted into protein, you have a way of maintaining your muscles, even if you're in hibernation. The problem is the squirrel isn't shotgunning any types of protein shakes. In fact, it isn't ingesting anything. So how can it gain access to nitrogen in a form that can be used to make proteins? Well, it turns out that there is another source of nitrogen that is being generated as the squirrel is sleeping, and that is urea. Urea is a waste molecule. It's the progenitor to urine. But the problem, of course, in your mind must be um, we don't use urine or urea as a way of building muscle, right? That would make no sense, right? And this is where bacteria splash onto the scene. There's this really, really cool paper that came out in 2022, which at this point is two years ago. Um, there's this group of researchers at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and what they did is they pointed to a group of gut bacteria that not only were processing the urea that was being generated as a waste product by the squirrel, the ground squirrel, but passing some of that nitrogen onto the host cells so that way they could use it to build protein. They took the bacteria would take the urea molecule, split it into a usable form of nitrogen, and doing so, the bacteria, since that's what it's meant to do, the bacteria can continue to survive and grow, but since it relies on the host organism in order to have a home, what'll happen is the bacteria will share some of that nitrogen with the host organism, that would be the ground squirrel, to help tide it over until the hibernation period is done. This is, this is a really, really incredible story, and it explains not only how squirrels can get their metabolism down by like 99%, that's right, they're operating at 1% metabolism at this point, but it also has implications for how people on low nitrogen diets, people who experience muscle atrophy, and yes, even people who are hibernating on a trip to Mars or Venus or anywhere else amongst the stars can survive in the long term. I think that's super, super cool. But let's recap this. We have jumped, we have jumped around an awful lot here. Um, number one, biological immortality can be achieved in a couple of ways, one of which is protection from degradation. Number two, organisms like the naked mole rat can protect themselves from aging with unique mechanisms, but many organisms like bacteria protect themselves from degradation by suspended animation. Number three, suspended animation is an emerging technology as a way of both keeping people alive in space and keeping people alive during physical trauma. And number four, bacteria can help with the integrity of certain organisms in hibernation by recycling nutrients. Now, that is a whole lot that we got through. It was really, really cool, but 
Um, overall, I hope you guys enjoyed it and learned something new. If so, do not forget to share this podcast, or if you want to get more science, just shoot me a message on Instagram with any other topics you'd like to hear covered. Next week, we might linger on this notion of immortality. Um, we might not, but that is going to be it for today. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in, and I hope I'll see you all again next week on another episode of Short Stories Back to Reality.